Formula One is back in Melbourne for the Australian Grand Prix with tickets exceptionally hard to come by, a big dread. The McLaren won't be able to deliver a home podium for DR and Lakeside Drive's first in-person Grand Prix. Just in time to celebrate 100,000 all-time downloads. G'day, my name is James Baldwin and welcome to another episode of Lakeside Drive's F1 podcast. In this episode, we're previewing the Australian Grand Prix. And I'm joined, as always, by my friends and yours. It's the return of the Mac. G'day, Campy. Boys, gentlemen, ladies, how are you? <laughs> very, very well, mate. Sorry, I forgot Good to you, have Freya. you back. <laughs> Classic. Uh, Freya, g'day, how are you? Yeah, I am here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Good, thanks for being here. I'm Dave Munnis. How are you, my friend? I am very well. It's race week. Let's go, boys and girls. Chinas. Yeah. Very, very keen. Uh, certainly he and I will be at the racetrack Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. It's going to be a very, very good week. Uh, look, we hope to see you there as well. If you want to know more about what we're doing around the Oz Grand Prix, follow our socials. It's the best place because uh, we'll have some updates for you as we go along. But a massive thank you to you for listening and watching as always. And thank you to those of you who have left us a review or a rating. Very, very much appreciated. A, a massive sh- shout out rather to Hudson uh, from Australia who's left us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Sydney DC who says James and Campy are legends, completely ignoring the rest of the group. <laughs> Tommy T specifically felt attacked. Big fan of that. Big Big fan uh, of that. <laughs> well, lady and gents, uh, we're back for the Australian Grand Prix. Who would have thought that it was actually going to happen? Certainly not us two years ago. But before we get into talking about the Oz Grand Prix, Campy, I want to get your thoughts uh, on the first half or the first half, the first couple of uh, races of the 2022 season. We haven't yet oh. heard your thoughts. Talk to us about <laughs> your hot tip so the far. Hot Tip. Well, the hot tip is to not talk about McLaren because that <laughs> whatever is going on in that garage is an absolute shambles. Uh, what else? Thank God we've left the United Arab Emirates. What an absolute shit show of an all like an area that is. I mean, with drivers almost getting bombed off the track and uh, the money talks, doesn't it? And so it's a bit of a shame. Um, thank God we're at the spiritual start of the season, Melbourne, this week, so that'll be good. Uh, racing's been pretty good. Uh, a lot of the wheel-to-wheel stuff. Drivers have had to be a bit more crafty about the way they uh, uh, get the passing done on track, which I've liked. Uh, I think it's – I think – I think I don't think we could hope for any more than what we've had on track in terms of wheel-to-wheel racing. This is a step in the right direction. It can only get better from here, but it's the standard – from the start has been really good. So it's all credit to F1 and the designers and um, of the cars to get them to do what they want. So that's good. Um, yeah, we've got a few exciting news things happening this week too. It's all sort of happening. We've got a Vegas race too. So I can confirm that will be the largest weekend I've ever had next year, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be and good. Saturday night too, which is oh, interesting. Well, no. before we talk about Las Vegas though, 
Uh, I just want to get your thoughts, Campy, on what's happening at the front of the pack uh, and the absence, I suppose, of Mercedes from being there, of course, coming out of testing. And even Munnis said this, there was a massive amount of sand, allegedly, uh, still in that Mercedes cockpit, but that doesn't seem to be the case. They really have dropped back. And almost the opposite of what we were saying, Campy, from last year, where we were concerned Red Bull would be putting in so much effort and energy into what was going on for last year's car to get that victory, that maybe this year's car wasn't going to be so good. But it seems the Mercedes have suffered that rather than Red Bull. Yeah, I think um, I think Mercedes has had a a perspective on how to make a car fast, and I don't think the motor was the most important thing about making that car fast. I think the chassis right throughout the start of the turbo hybrid era was what made them so much better than everyone else um, this year. They've obviously dropped off, and they haven't they haven't made the gains in the engine that, compared to everybody else, which is a shame. But reliability is a big thing too, because if you look at the Mercedes powered cars that are on the grid, they're the ones that seemingly are to be struggling more so than anyone else. I mean, the Ferrari engine <coughs> that looks absolutely oh that those those cars look so much quicker. I mean, look at the Haas and the turnaround they've had from last year to this year, and I think that's due to the Ferrari engine. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's – I mean, but Mercedes have lost a lot of technical personnel as well. So that's tough. Um, that's tough. And why wouldn't teams want to poach the best teams, engineers and designers right throughout and the key roles that they play? So I think these things happen, but it's an equalisation of the sport and that's what we really wanted and we were really looking for. Manus, in 2017, a question was put at the Australian Grand Prix, the beginning of the season, to Lewis Hamilton and to Daniel Ricciardo and to Fernando Alonso about what they would like to see in the future of Formula One. Lewis Hamilton said he wanted a race in Miami. Daniel Ricciardo said he wanted a race in Las Vegas. And Fernando Alonso said he wanted equal engines for everyone. Now, two of those <laughs> three things have come to fruition. Lewis Hamilton said he didn't want that. Maybe he does because it's, it seems that that Alpine Renault engine is a lot faster than the Mercedes engine, at least so far this season. But this is a big shift, isn't it, for what we've seen in Formula One? It really is now leaning into this Americanization of the sport, and it's not a bad thing, with Drive to Survive absolutely thriving from a Netflix point of view. But we now have three races in the US. Do you think this is maybe going in the wrong direction with sort of putting all of their eggs in this United States basket? Or do you think it's a positive thing because we're giving this massive potential fan base more races to go and actually witness in person? Yeah, look, for me, I think it's positive um, having three races in the US. Um, for me, the missed opportunity is that we're going to Vegas and not going to somewhere like Laguna Seca. Uh, and yeah, people are going to say, look, it's a grade two circuit from the FIA. It doesn't have the one grade one status for it for it to hold an F1 race. Nevertheless, in Las Vegas, we don't even have a track yet. For me, messed opportunity. <laughs> I really want to go to somewhere like, uh, you know, Laguna Seca. It's got the history. Um, it's got the mystique. And I'm going there to watch racing. Whereas Vegas, I'm going there to get off my tits and I'm not going to see a race at all. So <laughs> <laughs> There's cars Still out like there. A Irish, really? I like it. <laughs> yeah. But the move to the States is excellent. 
Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because Laguna Seca, lots of people have also said, oh, well, then the corkscrew, you're not going to get a Formula One car. Well, just go look at Zach Brown's Instagram. He and uh, <laughs> I think Mika Hakkinen drove some old McLarens around there only a couple of months ago. So it can be done. It can be done. Uh, look, I think everyone would love to see that, especially if you've played any form of video game, car video game. So Campy hasn't done that, like Gran Turismo, you know, Laguna Seca is one of the legendary tracks, absolutely. But Freya, for you, I mean, because I know Campy's all in, this is is important. I guess it's closer for you to go and watch and better for your time zones to go and watch more US races. But Las Vegas, it's different. Saturday night, so not a Sunday afternoon race, a Saturday night race. They're really leaning into the party vibe of the city. Do you think, though, this is coming at the uh, the cost of some of these older tracks? Because there has been some conversation around people would rather see Las Vegas as a track rather than Monaco as a track because the potential is that there would actually be some racing there. What do you think about that side of the argument? Yeah, and I, I do kind of agree. I do. I would like to see some of those old tracks revived. And to Manus's point, you know, maybe they're not in the condition that they need to be right now, but as we've seen with Albert Park and the amazing upgrades they're bringing to Australia, there's no reason why they can't be doing that with some of these older tracks. Um, So if you're going to bring another race to the US, I would have loved to have seen some of the older ones revisited as options. I think it's it's a positive that we're going there. Um, it shows the growth of Formula One in the US with a third race. And if it gives them, if you're seeing a stronger market in the US and that becomes a real opportunity for them, it might give them less of a reason to go back to places like Saudi. So I'm all for it. Um, but I I think potentially with a place like, um, like Vegas, the racing could be kind of the second spectacle, I suppose. So I wonder if it will be compromised on the quality of the the racing just because of the absolute scenes of, of having a race in Vegas. But it's exciting. We haven't been there for 40 years or so, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. Campy, obviously Texas is your favourite part of the United States. It's the uh, only but part of the United States. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Las Vegas, though, is a thought process for you. It is, as I mentioned just before, a big party town, and so the big vibe is there. Some drivers have already said <laughs> they'll be very um, potentially distracted by everything else that's going on, especially on a Saturday night. But it really is going to be a spectacle, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the one thing that city is known for, other than its party and its gambling, is for putting on events. And, I mean, there's so much to do when you're there. There's so many hundreds of things doing well. I know they've got an NFL team now. And that NFL team, when they're playing in Vegas that weekend, brings in, I think it's three-quarters of a million people to the city every weekend. So it's quite an accessible place to, you know, to put on big events. And it's it, – it could turn out to be a bit of a jewel in the crown for F1 as a spectacle. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I'm not sure. Two races in the States is enough for me. I'm not sure we need a third. But I can understand the, the decision-making. Talk about bigger markets. Why don't we go somewhere like India, an emerging, you know, an emerging global superpower and, and it's, you know, technology and growth in those areas are massive. I think India is the sort of places we should be looking at. Um, Even places like Sri Lanka too, that would be cool to go to. Um, You know, different track conditions, really hot over there. And, you know, they're hardcore motorsport lovers too in some of those areas as well. Um, But this is the the trajectory the sport is taking and with Stefano Domenicali, he he's he's come out publicly and said he'll give up places like Monaco and and Spa 
and doesn't really care about the history of the sport. It's about taking it forward as an entertainment thing. And I'm not sure I love that because I think I think the money involved, particularly in places like Vegas, Miami and the UAE, is just astronomical and there's so many places that deserve racetracks that, you know, can't compete on that level, which is a real shame. I mean, our government subsidises millions of tens of million dollars a year to get the race and that's only going to go up. Um, but if that can be privately funded by, you know, enterprises in these big cities, then, I mean, places like Melbourne in the future are just going to get they're just going to get thrown away. So, uh, as always, there's politics in the sport, and that's the way it goes, unfortunately, sometimes. But it will be an ex- – it should be something they do biannually, you know, once every three years or something, maybe even two. Not every year because I don't think it needs to happen every year. Yeah, it's uh, – look, I mean, I, I agree with you that it's potentially too many races in the US. Having three in, in one country is a bit much, but, I mean, the size of the country at least – they can spread it all out over the place, which is is ideal. For what Dominic Carly said, and, and it's a good point because I wanted to bring this up as well for, for the rest of you guys, is that I'm not sure if you saw this, but he said, as Campy just said, he's happy to not renew contracts for those historic races that we have seen uh, last year and the year before, certainly those who filled in for the COVID round of 2020 that had to jump in the European rounds. Do you think that's a shame or do you – maybe agree with him that it's time to take Formula 1 to these new markets and with the rise of Drive to Survive and other things, that the it's more about engaging with an audience all over the place rather than just traditionally going back to where we've normally raced. Manus, let's start with you. I like the idea of exploring new markets. Even I think South Africa uh, would be a great place to go and race. India, as um, Campy said, it already has a grade one track, so it's good to go. Uh, I'm all for that. And whether it was to happen biannually or whatever, I'd actually be quite supportive of that. To give up somewhere like Spa, honestly, um, it's my favorite weekend of the year. I actually think I would struggle if we start giving up Spas, Silverstones, uh, even Monaco, the history and the prestige of the sport. I just don't want to watch a sport where we just race past iconic statues and, you know, cities around the world. That's not really racing for me i love the sport for the racing i don't just want to see a bloody cruise liner parked out beside <laughs> the track i mean we saw that how many times at saudi yeah. that's not really what it's about for me do you know and i actually really enjoy spa you get to see the crowd you can hear the crowd uh, and that's why i like those old tracks you don't necessarily get that in the city circuits uh, that said, don't get me wrong, Baku's one of my favourite weekends of the year as well, and it's 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 a street circuit. So, um, yeah, that's sort of my point of view on it. Freya? No, I, I tend to agree. I think there's a balance between looking for the future in terms of what the future of the sport is, how do you engage those new fans who might be looking for a spectacle um, and to see something different, but then it doesn't mean you have to do away with your history. You know, you learn so much from that. Um, and it's such an incredible part of the sport, you know, being able to look back to those races so long ago in places like like Monaco, um, that it, there's a huge amount of prestige that comes with that, which is also valuable to the sport as well. So um, I think there's a balance there. It would be definitely be a shame to see them doing away with some of those um, older tracks, even if they're not producing the best racing. It's more about, okay, how, could, how do we make adjustments to the track so that we improve the racing but keep that, um, you know, keep that location potentially. Um, I think the other thing is if we're talking about fan engagement, some of these new tracks, um, they're actually incredibly inaccessible, whether it's because of ticket prices or 
location or whatever. So we can talk about fan engagement, but you can't, it's actually not that effective at the moment. Yeah, it's a really that's a very very good point, and specifically for Miami, yeah. as we know, <laughs> ticket prices yeah. ridiculous, just absolutely ridiculous. But can I just say, like F one makes like places like if we think Suzuka, you think of one thirty R, right? You think of Monza, or you think of Italy, you think of you automatically you're thinking of the main straight at Monza, uh, a place like Silverstone, it's Maggots and Beckett's or Spa, you know, it's um, uh, or Rouge. I mean. That's what people love and it doesn't matter where you go, cars and F1 cars on these tracks are driving at the absolute limit, make these corners and make these places iconic and that's what you want to try and build on. You don't want them driving past Caesars Palace because, I mean, Caesars Palace has a good brand, you know. I mean, it looks cool and it's a nice spectacle for a once or twice thing, you know, but it's it's not something we need every, every year and more races every year for F1, mate. F1 would be doing plenty more, plenty better if it capped it to 18 races a year. And it was, you know, I mean, I mean, think of the NFL and their season over there, 16 weeks plus, you know, maybe five weeks of, of finals. If you drag these races out to a 23, even to a 25, 27 race calendar, just gets to the point where that's once a fortnight throughout the year and people just aren't going to watch like they used to. Yeah, that's a very good point. And also, it's the toll on those who are traveling with the sport as well, not just the people you see on television, including the drivers and the presenters, but the teams and what that means for their at-home relationships as well. It's a it's a very, very interesting point. And certainly, I can only imagine that the teams are absolutely buggered after two back-to-back weekends in the desert, being hot and moving everything around and having the stress of what was going on in Saudi Arabia may not have been so ideal. What is ideal, though, is the fact, guys, that we uh, have just passed 100,000 downloads, uh, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Campy, uh, you and I started this in my front room back in 2019 as a good idea, Pinata, uh, and, and we kind of... Pre-Drive to Survive. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we were, we were important before Drive to Survive, although I think Drive to Survive was released just... Just after we did our first episode. Anyway, uh, you can't listen to our first couple of episodes anymore because I've got rid of them because <laughs> they're just, yeah. I mean, oh, they, so they, yeah, they weren't, weren't <laughs> ideal. Uh, but, of course, uh, not only are we growing in, in downloads and numbers, which is fantastic, and thank you again for, for listening and tuning in so regularly. It also seems we've been growing the last couple of weeks. But, of course, we've got Freya and Manus now joining us as part of our regular panel. So I thought I'd ask you two, before we talk about the Australian Grand Prix, to talk a little bit about what was Oz F1 and now Lakeside Drive, how you came across it and uh, what you've been enjoying before stepping into being uh, on the panels, what you've been enjoying of the podcast. Manas, shall we start with you? Because obviously we also did the MotoGP podcast for a little bit as well there. Yeah, well, I think uh, <laughs> I got into it through boredom, which was uh, thanks to <laughs> our lockdowns here in Melbourne. Um, pretty much I really get... Uh, delved into motorsport uh, something I was always loved to watch but never really had the time and then with lockdowns you know just sat in the house so I really got engaged with Formula 1 and that's when you guys came along on your podcast and I sort of started engaging with you all pretty early in the piece uh, which was fun and really enjoyed that and I was also getting into sort of my GT3s GT4s endurance racing stuff like that um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the discord and getting to chat to people and different perspectives in the sport and it really grew from there and you guys were pretty cool to get on with. Um, 
you know, love listening to you guys. Campy was, I found hilarious. Uh, and interestingly, my Tommy was actually the one who, uh, a lot of his opinions I sort of shared as well, uh, which is interesting. My Over man. time, that's changed though, because Daphne, you know, what? fan. Whereas I'm not so much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, 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 I always, always love listening to you guys. And, you know, uh, you brought a bit of humor to the sport and, you know, Campy says what he wants. You don't usually get that in a Formula One podcast. It's usually quite polished and no one really says what they think. But then Campy came along and just changed all that. Jeez, <laughs> oh, what a glowing <laughs> review. Campy, would you like a right of reply? <laughs> oh, I, I, look, I missed the question for some audio issues, but 100,000 downloads, I think, um, hey, that's, to me, that's like, Shocking, yeah, it's huge. Shocking that there's a hundred thousand downloads. So thank you. It's been uh, it's been a good experience, and we don't take ourselves too seriously. I've said that before. We just consistently take the piss out of each other and uh, have a laugh while talking about something we love. So yeah, thanks for the support. It's good. And Manus, I'm not sure that uh, not sure that Tommy T's ideas are good because he doesn't even watch the sport ninety percent of the time. He just sort of comes on mine and uh, James's coattails. But anyway, we'll leave it there. Yeah, we look. We want it to be. Still fans, right? And for fans, uh, Freya, you are an additionally a fan uh, and more so now in the deep end. But how did you come across us and talk to, talk to me about your journey to get here? <laughs> I think um, I came across it because I was, yeah, pretty fed up with everything else when it came to the content that you hear from Formula One, the bias and just everyone constantly being mean to Danny Rick um, and just whinging about time zones and everything else. I just was looking for a different take on things um, and preferably an Australian voice to do that because you kind of, especially when you were wanting to hear more about what might be going on with, you know, for example, Ricardo, um, you know, I was like, I think this is going to have to come from from an Australian voice to to hear what I want to hear. <laughs> um, so yeah, was just looking around for more content and, and came across it. Um, and then I probably wasn't quite like mine. I didn't kind of engage straight away, I suppose, with the broader Lakeside Drive community. But just the more I listened, the more I wanted to know. The more I wanted to engage with other people who were listening um, to to the show as well and and then with you guys. So it's, um, yeah, I suppose been something that just the more I got of it, the more I wanted of it. Um, so it's been, it's been pretty fun. Well, look, thank you to you both for obviously listening and now being part of the show. Uh, we love it, this, all three of us, and I love that we can have a crack at Tommy T because he's not here. Makes me very, very happy. Uh, <laughs> we no, love you, all Tommy. All, all of us, all of us, including Freya Munnis, really, really appreciate you for listening, subscribing, and sharing this uh, this show around. As, as Campy said, one hundred thousand downloads seems ridiculous. Uh, it, it kind of is a made up number, really, in our in our heads from when we started back in 2019, but we bloody love doing this and we're going to have a great week at the Australian Grand Prix. Let's talk about the Australian Grand Prix. Campy, let's start with you. We've got a brand new surface on the circuit and there's been some adjustments at 9 and 10 and some other parts of the circuit as well. Brand new cars. We haven't had racing here for a couple of years. What do you think we can expect for F1 2022 at Albert Park? I think there'll be more passing than we've ever seen anywhere in Melbourne. I think that's a given. But I think we're going to see more passing 
on this track than we do the rest of the year. Um, we'll have the traditional passing places like into the turn one chicane and then uh, into three and four down the back straight, uh, down the front straight. Sorry, but then this new section where they've cut out the uh, the cut out the chicanes and, and we'll have a big breaking breaking. Um, Zone or area into yeah into turn eleven. I think that's going to produce massive amounts of uh, passing opportunities for people. So I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't seen any simulations yet. I've, I know Albert Park Grand Prix Corporation put out like a five like a five part little thing on YouTube, uh, but I didn't really get a good sense of of how the track will actually drive. So I haven't seen any uh, haven't seen that. So I'm looking forward to Friday to get an actual actual real look. Um, track times they're going to be pretty quick this year. They're going to be down into those sort of one fifteens as opposed to like the one thirty twenty eights. I think we we've previously done. So that's going to be exciting too. Um, yeah, I think and wheel to wheel racing this year. It's, just, it's looking like a really exciting track to go to. Yeah. Freya, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. And I feel like it's this isn't going to be a popular opinion probably, but maybe a blessing in disguise that Melbourne had the break um, that you've and you've now coinciding new cars with the upgrade to the track. So we're seeing cars that seem to be able to follow a lot more closely. We're getting much better um, and more sustained overtaking um, and really amazing passes that kind of, you know, don't end after one go. And I think when we combine that with the changes to this track, it should be quite an interesting race. Um, and there's also changes to the pit lane as well. I think they've widened that. So they're going to see potentially that playing much more of a, a role in terms of people playing more with their strategy in Melbourne in comparison to previous years as well. Um, so I'm really excited to watch this at midnight <laughs> as it will be at, at my my time zone. <laughs> I get to whinge about it at least once because uh, I'm usually pretty lucky with the time zone watching. But uh, so this is my chance to to have a bit of a moan about it. But um, I think, yeah, the, the combined change between the cars and the track have actually coincided pretty well to, to result in a good race, interesting race. Manus, it's great that we finally get a good race in our time zone. Everyone else can bloody whinge about it all they want, but put yourselves in the bin because we have to deal with it with the other 22 races every bloody year. So it, I don't care. It's, you know, we're going to make the most of this, absolutely. But also for, for you, mate, there's arguably not been the best racing uh, for the last couple of years where the Grand Prix happened in Albert Park. As Freya said, it's coinciding probably at the best time. We've got this massive demand for tickets, which we've never seen. There's never been a sellout that early on, at least, uh, for the Australian Grand Prix. And certainly now the attitude of a lot of Australians is they want to get and see DR in the McLaren, or at least they thought they did maybe before the first two races. <laughs> uh, but but for, for you and for what yeah. this means for the Australian Grand Prix moving forward, do you think that we can start seeing this as one of the best circuits on the calendar again? I absolutely hope so. Um, as Freya says, the new cars, the, the upgrades, um, it's just going to be perfect timing. And everybody in Australia has sort of fallen in love with this drive to survive, whether, you know, obviously myself and Campy aren't big fans of it, but plenty of other people are. So there's a lot of engagement in the sport. And we're going to, like, I mean, it's unbelievable the numbers that's going to go to this uh, over the course of the four days. Um, and the one thing I'm really looking forward to is the widening of the track. I think we're going to see a lot of car ride through turn three, turn six, which is going to be great to watch. Uh, so I can't wait to get down there. Can't wait to see the cars out on track. Uh, and I can't wait to 
basically just enjoy the atmosphere because there's going to be so many people there and everybody's going to be pumped and it's been so long since we've had racing here. And if you live in Melbourne, you know that that week when you wake up on the Thursday morning and you hear that Minotti yeah. going around the track screaming at 6.30 a.m. It is yeah. the best thing in the world. It is so exciting. <laughs> so good. And we yeah. also get an air show yeah. as well. So James looking forward to that too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. What have we got That's, this year? Uh, do you know? <clears throat> oh, it'll be a stupid Hornet again. Uh, Super Hornet, sorry. Uh, that will be rocking around unless the F35 comes down, but I don't know if they're util- utilizing that yet for their – Air show performances. We'll see. Uh, look, either way, not Fingers not unhappy. Crossed. Maybe all of it. And roulettes will be there as well. Uh, it'll be a good mm. time for every Air Force pilot who's specifically flying that, not for the rest of them. Uh, okay, let's talk about other things that we should be watching for in the race. First of all, Seb Vettel has been cleared. He's back for the Australian Grand Prix. Uh, Nico did a great job stepping into a car that wasn't so fast, uh, wasn't as good as what we uh, saw him in that racing point, as we've said previously. Uh, but for for him and for Aston Martin, he's got a lot of work to do, doesn't he? Uh, Campy, he's missed two races now. It's the uh, at least the spiritual start of the season for him is the start of the season for him. <laughs> but all the way down the back of the pack and missing two races worth of of testing, what do you think we can expect for Seb? Because it's not been the start that Aston Martin would have wanted. He'll beat Stroll. How good! How good! Was race one, you've already spoken about it. How good was when Hulkenberg gets the call up, which I loved, loved to see that, and he comes out and beats Stroll in qualifying. I was <laughs> like, that right there says everything you need to know about that dud Canadian. And, oh, yeah, look, he's a shit driver, Lance Stroll. I mean, to get out qualified by a guy that hasn't driven a car in 18 months, New regs, new everything, come in and do that. That was amazing. So, no, Seb will be fine. Uh, he's had enough – I think he's had enough time in the car testing-wise. Um, he'll be fine. It might take him a couple of sessions to get up to scratch, but he'll beat he'll beat Stroll. So. And he's got hair. He's got hair this year, so. <laughs> <laughs> he's come he's, back. He's flying. Tony Hawk. <laughs> Full Tony Hawk. Uh, Manus, for, for this year, we've got one rookie in uh, Joe Guan Yu. Uh, he's had a pretty okay start. Uh, we we sort of spoke a little bit, didn't we, uh, about Yuki Tsunoda's performance under lights in terms of a rookie that did well at the beginning of last year. What do you think his chances are for the Australian Grand Prix? Uh, not in the desert, not under lights, but the Alfa Romeo, of course, being powered by that Ferrari power unit and teammate with Valtteri Bottas. Do you think he's going to have a better ascension this season compared to Yuki and others' first season last year? I actually think he does. Um, I've been quite impressed by him so far. Um, he's had stall, anti-stall issues in the last two races, Um Without that in the last race, he probably would have finished in the points. So that's, that would have been two points finishes in a row. I'm quite impressed by how he's going. I think he'll I think he'll have a good season and I think he'll do pretty well around um, Albert Park. Yeah, I, look, I mean, his teammate, obviously, absolutely bloody brilliant. Valtteri hmm. is on fire for everything, including social <laughs> media content and the rest <laughs> of it. He His whole vibe is totally different. But someone else's vibe who's totally different is Charles Leclerc, at least according to... Someone in the Formula One paddock, uh, but it's an interesting one because we've spoken about Freya, haven't we, that Carlos has been very, very frustrated in that other Ferrari to not have been matching at least Charles Leclerc's times. Do you think, now that there's meat on the table, <laughs> that this Ferrari pairing, just like Campy would have said, 
years and years ago as the F1 prophet that he allegedly was, although maybe you're now taking that mantle, that we're I seeing like Charles so. <laughs> really just pick it up and run with it and maybe Carlos struggling to close that gap? I think it's, it was interesting watching Charles over the last two races. He seems to be a lot more calm in comparison to last year, both during the race um, but then also off the track. He's much more settled. He's making good decisions under pressure, which has been, I think, a bit of a vulnerability for him in the past. And we are used to seeing that from some of our more experienced drivers, VB and even signs himself, I suppose. And with sports like this, you know, there's just there's so many things that are important to work on in order to perform at that elite, exceptional level. And you're talking about things like, you know, your confidence, your goal setting and your visualisation, motivation, emotional regulation, um, and making decisions under cognitive load as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of really complex um, underpinnings, I suppose, when it comes to elite performance and an adjustment or a focus in any one of those areas is going to give you an edge. And I think what we're seeing from behaviour with with Charles, it's, it looks like he's been working on that stuff. And it'll be interesting because I think from a teammate perspective, he'll also need to make sure that he can play to his strengths as well. But you've definitely seen a change in in how he's carrying himself and his decision-making, which is it's a pretty big shift. So I think, yeah, I, I, I want to see signs match his performance. And I think he'll have to then be careful that when he is frustrated, because perhaps he's not side by side with Charles, he doesn't let that affect his racing and his own decision-making and performance. Campy, Carlos has been up against <laughs> someone as good as Charles in Max Verstappen, of course, his time oh, yeah. Toro Rosso. Uh, he has pace and we've always said that he's one of our favourite performers, but as you say, meat on the table, it's now a thing for Ferrari and two races in, they're looking pretty dominant and certainly championship contenders. How does that change the behaviour between the two drivers? Oh, I think it ultimately will. If we, if it's like this, you know, to the end of the year, there's going to be some tension and there's going to be some incidents on track. There's going to be team, there's going to be members within the team that are putting more of an effort into a particular driver, depending on who's winning the world championship. Um it's just these things happen. Uh, I think Carlos is a traditionally a bit of a late starter anyway. He's never quite – it always sort of takes him three or four races to, you know, get up to scratch where he needs to be. But, hey, mate, Carlos is a superstar. He's not happy with the car. Charles is. Now, that could mean that Ferrari is favouring Charles a bit. I don't think it's like that. I just think Carlos isn't there with the car. But once Carlos gets there with the car, he's going to have weekends where he makes Charles – you know, he'll beat him by 20 seconds on the track. And that's what we haven't seen thus far. Carlos has been there and pretty bloody close. If it wasn't for cars in front of him, I mean, I mean, lap, I mean, race pace, I mean, lap by lap, they are so comparable, it's not funny. It says something to me that Carlos isn't happy and Charles is. So once Carlos gets happy, and it won't take that long, I think he'll go on to be world champion this year, probably. But Max Verstappen and that Red Bull is bloody quick. Yeah, well, Red Bull certainly seem to have the straight line advantage, Manus, don't they? Maybe not the reliability that they yet want, 
but certainly that advantage. But Ferrari, consistent and have a very good all-round package. This is going to be potentially interesting all the way to the end of the season. As a result of Saudi Arabia, though, and a lot of whinging from Max of Charles crossing the pit entry line. That's all I remember hearing from Max's radio. And then everyone get it going, oh, isn't it nice that they got out of the car and they said well done to each other and it was an even fair race. Well, if you listen back to the radio, Max was whinging his head off most of the time following Charles. But it's a good thing to have, isn't it, Manus? I mean, this is the changing of the guard now a little bit in terms of Lewis now dropping back and two youngsters having a crack. It was always going to happen. It was only a matter of time. But the Red Bull versus Ferrari, do you think it's going to be all the way to the end of the season or do you think Ferrari going to just develop their crap out of this car and go forward that Red Bull won't be able to keep up? Certainly hope it will go all season. Um, I think this year Ferrari, Ferrari look the goods. I think they're in it for the duration of the season. And I'll tell you what, Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen, that will, that will get so toxic. It will peel an insignificance to what we've seen from Max and Lewis. It really will. Like, Leclerc on his day is just ruthless. He has a killer instinct. Uh, but to free his point, I think he's showing a, a definitely a maturity about him this year. He's making better decisions. He's not as rash. And I think that'll stand him in good stead for the season ahead. I actually think... He can, uh, he can win the title. Um, I really do. I know I said at the start of the season, I thought Carlos, but uh, I think Carlos might just lack that X factor compared to Charles. But maybe maybe Campy's right. Maybe he's just not up to speed with the car yet. One of the benefits, of course, of Ferrari performing well is that other Ferrari power teams are performing well. And Campy, we haven't spoken yet to you about Haas's significant rise and the change in fortunes and the departure of Mazepin and the entry of KMAG. So give us your thoughts. And also, Haas have performed very well at the Australian Grand Prix. All you have to do is look at the first season of Drive to Survive where they've gone from looking like a bunch of wankers to looking like a (laughs) bunch of legends uh, for the first seat race of this season. What can they do at the Australian Grand Prix? Oh, I think KMAG will be looking for P5, you know, behind the two Red Bulls and the two Ferraris at every race. I think Bottas will be as well. Um, stoked to see K-Mac back. I mean, master stroke of a decision. He's a bona fide F1 driver. I think we. I think I have had my chance to say something about that in the first episode, maybe. Um, but he, uh, and he's, I mean, first race back, whatever he got. I can't remember what it was. Uh, he finished 10th in the second race too. But, uh, look, that, I mean, that fifth to Fifth to tenth to in the scoring, I think that's wide open. Could be anyone. We've seen Alpines be extremely quick at times, particularly over one lap in qualifying. Um, I mean, can't count out George Russell or Lewis Hamilton. I think Mercedes will figure it out at some stage, though. I think they are. I don't think it's as dire as what the media is playing out to be. I think Lewis has been pretty calm and composed when talking to media this year. Uh, I think we've probably got a bit more out of George Russell. He said, well, we know what the problem is and we're trying to fix that problem. And I think once that problem's fixed, I think they'll be right back where they want to be, competing with the with the Ferrari and the and the uh, the Red Bull. But it might take some time. But uh, as for K-Mag and Haas, I mean, love that for their organisers. Love that for their organisation. I think Mick Schumacher's getting shown up a bit. Not sure he's the driver that we want him or predicted him to be, some have predicted him to be. Um, 
All I just see would be a good year from him. I mean, his second race was better. I mean, yeah, so. But unfortunately, when K-Mac's getting fifth place on debut after being signed 10 days earlier, I mean, or whatever, like fifth or sixth or whatever it was from memory, I mean, that doesn't look good for Mick Schumacher, who's been in the car for a while. So anyway, look, uh, they can do anything they want. Defending Mick, though, at least he now has someone to learn from rather than yeah. just oh, another totally. rookie alongside. So absolutely, you you would expect yep. you would expect that K Mag would immediately be faster because he's just got more experience in a, a in a Formula One car, understanding setup and the rest of it, especially from teams like McLaren uh, and Renault, and then coming into Haas, he he has that wealth of knowledge uh, and. Yeah, as as Freya said to me at one point, the the joy that we have is ridiculous just to see K Mag back in the paddock. It's who knows why it's there. It's just there, and it's bloody bloody good to see it. Um, How good is this for Oscar Piastri though? I mean, you got Guan Yu Zhou or Zhou <laughs> Guan Yu, whatever his name is. He's uh, he's coming out and performing really well, and we know that Oscar's better than him. Like, hands down, there was one race last year where uh, Guan Yu Zhou got the better of him. I think it was at uh, Baku. But uh, um, every other race, Oscar was miles ahead of him. And race pace and qualifying pace was way better. So I think it says a lot for Oscar and where he's going to come into with his pecking order within the sport. Hopefully he gets a couple of drives this year due to COVID or something. Well, from memory, uh, he will be doing a free practice session in Australia. I think I've read that somewhere. So that'll be good to see him in a current car rather than one of the previous Renault cars. Let's talk, though, about the other Australian, of course, DR. Uh, It's his home race or his second home race or third home race, depending if you include a team and where he actually lives. Uh, The Australian Grand Prix advantage, hometown advantage. Hopefully it's worth a couple of tenths, although I doubt it. Uh, Different scenario for McLaren, though, Freya, from the desert. Obviously, we know that the cooling issues were the biggest issues for them in comparison to Barcelona for testing. Hopefully that's not a thing for them in Melbourne, but... With looking back at last week's race, uh, we saw, of course, McLaren get some points with Lando. Uh, he was only uh, seventh, I think, by a tenth of a second or a hundredth of a second from Ocon. So there are there is some upsides, I suppose. Uh, Andreas Seidel yes, said that uh, he he's got uh, confidence that DR would have finished in the points too if it wasn't for the issues. So. What can we expect for Daniel, apart from him winning the world championship this year, which is still technically possible, <laughs> what can we expect from, from him? What does success look like for DR this weekend? Success, I think, is just constantly improving on each race at this point in time, to be honest. Like they just have to keep stepping in the right direction and not not fall back into what we kind of saw in, in that first weekend, which was it was abysmal at the end of the day. Um it was it was positive to hear him speaking quite optimistically about how the car felt um, last weekend. In that he said, you know, you, there's only so much you can do in a week, and the difference was quite significant um, in his view in terms of what they had managed to achieve in that in that one week. So that I think was you know gave me <laughs> a bit of optimism that maybe was lacking before. Um, so hopefully that is the same again. And yeah, again, if the, if the cooling issues aren't as much of a problem, then maybe he's got a better chance of, of performing. I'm hoping that this is a track that we just get to see some 
some of the actual kind of race craft craft of the more experienced drivers being allowed to do its work. Again, they've got cars that they can, they're more able to do that in now. And I think that's where KMAG will absolutely shine in Melbourne is what I think is going to happen um, because we're actually going to be able to let them do, let them race. um, And it's on a track where we should see more overtaking in comparison to previous years. And hopefully DR fits into that category as well. Manus, what's your expectations for DR this weekend? Uh, Look, For me, hopefully he can finish in the points. I think that'll be a good step uh, step forward for him. Um, the temperatures this week are going to be low 20s, so hopefully that helps car performance um, and hopefully there's more upgrades coming. We've got to remain positive. Uh, and yeah, he is at home. Hopefully the crowd can get behind him and uh, yeah, just hope and pray that we can get some points on the board and make a, make a step forward for the season. Campy, our boy DR. I mean, it's not been a good start, has it, to his World Drivers' Championship 2022 campaign. But for, from your view, finally, what, what do you think we can expect? Anyway, yeah, I've got no expectation for Danny Rick. I just He'll beat Lando. I think his race pace is better than Lando. I think qualifying, he's still not – he's better than he was last year, which is good. He still had less time in the car. Um, I think mean, qualifying, I think both have been within like a tenth or something, which is not – which is which is fine for me. Like if you're within a tenth of your teammate, that's I mean, that can be made up by breaking a fraction of a second later or earlier, getting on the accelerator. So that's not a big deal for me. But the race base has been better from his teammate. Um, but yeah, no expectations. We'll see what happens. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, it's only a couple of days away. Very very excitingly, let's get your predictions. You three. Who you think the podium will be, Manus? Let's start with you first, second, third. Who do you reckon? Ooh, uh, Leclerc first, second. I'll go with Max. And third, I'm gonna say Oscar Piastri because Ocon's gonna be down with COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going bullish. The unexpected podium. We didn't know we needed. That's right. <laughs> Freya, how about you? Uh, Max, K-Mag, DR. Yep, that's absolutely a wishful podium. Uh, <laughs> yeah. for you? Uh, Alonso, Kimi <laughs> Matthias Reich, and then we'll make a comeback. Um, no, uh, I think it'll be a Red Bull 1-2 because their straight line speed's too good. Uh, and I think Carlos will get third. If you two think that uh, Kimi Raikkonen is coming back, uh, feel free to join us in person where we can talk about it. Uh, ahead of the Australian Grand Prix, we will be gathering for some drinks in a location which is yet to be determined. Uh, as I said, Okay, Coppersmith, great. There you go. Uh, the details Clarence exactly. Street, South Melbourne. Lock it in. Great. There you go. You can, you can tell Friday we really night, spoke six a lot about this. Friday night, 6 o'clock, Coppersmith in Melbourne. Uh, Make sure you join us if you can. South Melbourne, it's all the same place once you're outside of of New South Wales like me. Uh, And uh, come say g'day. We would love to see you. And for a live recording, there is potentially a live podcast recording with Manus, Tommy T, Campy and myself. 
on Sunday after the race. So if you're around, you can join us then. We will share more details on our Discord and on social media. So make sure you follow us for both those things. Guys, fantastic to talk ahead of the Australian Grand Prix. I'm bloody excited. Make sure also you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. Uh, We will be doing a hell of a lot of video content this week. uh, So you get to see uh, not-so-pretty faces there. But it is time to say goodbye. We can't wait to see Kimi Räikkönen come back for the Australian Grand Prix. Right. There you go. What a, oh, what what a, a disaster. disaster. Edit that I'm going to have. Freya's <laughs> trying to take the piss out of Campy while Campy's actually giving an answer. That's my favourite uh, part. No. After that first race, my hopes and dreams have been smashed. Or don't. We don't want to know what you think anyway. Not sure. <laughs> well... Yeah, who? Look, who knows? I really got no idea. I got no expectation for them. I'm just Don't trying to. Don't please do an imitation of what you think he's going to say. Two races in, do that. <laughs> Frey, you obviously can't hear him weekend though. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, there anyway. you are. <laughs> um,